we have been going through the book of Acts, and we are roughly about halfway through. And uh, the book of Acts really focuses on how the church of God began, uh, and how it began to, not only was it birthed, but also how it began to spread throughout the world. Um, it contains very, very valuable lessons to us as a church, as a body of believers. And as we go through um, the book of Acts, really we learn a lot how to live as believers, how to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to the book of Acts chapter 12. This is where we are this morning, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And the way that I'll approach this, I'll basically go through Acts chapter 12 and 13 this morning um, and just pick up on some lessons that we can learn, some things that we can be encouraged with, um, some things that can strengthen us um, in our day-to-day lives, um, and some things that I feel God is really speaking strongly about in our lives. So Acts chapter 12, beginning from verse 1 to 5, um, I'll not read every single verse, uh, but I'll do some summaries. Some verses I'll focus on, but uh, some I'll just summarize. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 5, basically Herod begins to persecute the church. Now the church was persecuted. The persecution of the church began with Stephen, when Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7. But it became political, really political, when, um, in this, in this uh, chapter, um, when Herod begins to persecute the apostles, starting with James, um, and this is James, the brother of John. And then, because he saw that it pleased the people, he was a politician, and so he saw that uh, uh, persecuting or killing James killed, pleased the people, he decided to imprison Peter. Okay, let me just say this in passing. I'm not going to focus so much on this section, but if you're the type of person who lives your life pleasing people rather than obeying God, or in fear of people, you're afraid of what people say about you, you're afraid of what people think about you, then let me just say that you can end up making some very bad decisions, and that's what happened to Herod. You may end up seriously compromising your faith. We are not supposed to live afraid of people. We are not supposed to live fearing people or trying to please people. We're supposed to live trying to please God. So that's what I'll say on that one, and let's move on to Acts chapter 12, verse 6 to 19. This is where I'm going to focus on in this particular chapter. Acts chapter 12, verse 6 to 19. Basically, it's about Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison. He was imprisoned by Herod, and then um, he was guarded, seriously guarded, uh, by, first of all, four soldiers operating in four shifts. That's what it says. eh? So you have four soldiers operating every three hours they would change over. And then in addition to that, he had two sentries that were guarding him, and then he was bound in chains. So this was some serious, serious bounding. He was completely immobilized. Now, an angel of the Lord awoke him up when he was asleep in this situation and then gave him instructions on how to escape, led him out of prison step by step. Now, in verse 12 to 17, Peter arrives at the home of Mary, um, um, and this was Mary, the mother of John Mark, and here the saints had gathered to pray. And uh, traditionally, this story is often used to explain how prayer can, be, can bring about results. You know, people normally use this story and say, you know, Peter's miracle of escape was brought about because people seriously prayed. People really prayed. Um, and it is true that actually prayer can accomplish much. Um, 
prayer, said in faith, can accomplish much. But in this particular case, I think there was a lot more going on. There was something else that was responsible for Peter's miraculous escape. And I want us to look closer at this, um, this section of scripture because we can learn a lot about how to really persevere through persecution. First of all, concerning this prayer, prayers that were being said at um, Mary's home, it doesn't necessarily say they were praying for Peter. If you read that portion, verse 12, right? Um, and it says there, uh, many were gathered together praying. So it doesn't really say that they were praying for Peter, we just assume. Um, and, and even if we say, if we assume that yes, Peter was one of the, the you know, one of the prayer points, um, this prayer was really not a prayer of faith. Okay, they were not praying in faith. Look at verse 13 to 16, and this portion I'm going to read and just observe certain things, eh? Verse 13 to 16, when he, that is Peter, knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept on insisting that it was so. And they kept on saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Have you noticed that when the servant girl, Rhoda, um, recognized Peter, she basically went to tell the disciples and says, she kept on insisting. So she didn't just tell them that, hey, there's Peter at the door. He, she kept on insisting. She had to really insist trying to convince these guys. And then it says, they kept on saying, it can't be him, it must be an angel. So it was something that was continuous. And then, meanwhile, Peter was at the door. He didn't just knock once or twice. He kept on knocking. Now, if this is a prayer of faith, sincerely, It really is not a lot of faith. In fact, it is almost lack of faith. You know, it's like um, one time I was, I was joking with a, with, uh, in discipleship class and I was explaining something about the prayer of faith. When you come forward for prayer, I was telling, I was telling the students, you come forward for prayer, maybe you're believing God, you want, to, you want to pass your exams, and you're like, pray for me, I want to pass my exams. It's a very difficult test, the exam that's coming, so please pray for me. So I joined together with you, and um, first question I asked, do you believe that God is capable of taking you through this exam? And you're like, yeah, 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 I believe, I believe. Uh -huh. So you pray, we pray together, and we, you know, we hold together, and we agree together. And then you sit through the exams, and then you pass, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I can't believe I passed. And you're like, wait a minute. Aren't you the same person <laughs> who said you believed? <laughs> so, so this is it. I mean, some of our prayers really are prayers, but are they in faith? In fact, um, one thing you notice when you go through the Bible, it continuously tells us that prayers that are not in faith have very little chance of being answered. In, first, in James chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, it says, whoever is praying, or, you know, it talks about wisdom, but generally speaking, if you, whoever is praying, let him ask in faith with no doubting, because whoever doubts should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. In fact, some translations say, let him expect to receive nothing Nothing, not even a little bit, but nothing from the Lord. Imagine that. So clearly these guys were not in faith, um, and it's something that we need to learn. You know, the, uh, when we pray, ask yourself, am I standing in faith? Do I believe that this is actually something that the Lord can, can work out? And one of the reasons really why prayers don't get answered is because of this very thing. Prayers are not said in faith. When, when you actually move around in Kampala, I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of people tend to, I mean, 
to broadcast their prayers, right? I don't know. I, 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 when you move around Kampala, you notice that. And outside as well, people amplify, they put their prayers on, ampli on amplifiers, they speak through megaphones, so you can hear people's prayers. It's not that they're in their closet. You can hear people's prayers. And sometimes what you hear is alarming. It's basically people voicing their fears, voicing their worries, voicing their anxieties. And then at the end, they say, in the name of Jesus, amen. You know, worry, anxiety, fear are really just lack of faith. That's the reality. Just because somebody says in the name of Jesus, amen, does not necessarily mean that you are in faith. Now, if you're not operating in faith, it's far better you admit it. Look, I'm struggling with my faith. I need to, um, to, have, um, to have stability or to really strengthen my faith. It's far, far better to admit it and to look for ways to actually increase. And the Bible is so, so good at giving us ways to build our faith. For example, praising and worshiping God. This can really, really strengthen our faith. Praying in tongues in Jude chapter, um, Jude is one chapter, so it's verse 20. It talks about building yourself up by praying in tongues or praying in the Holy Ghost or praying in the Holy Spirit. By studying and meditating on the word of God. It's another way to actually build up your faith. Um, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of the Lord. So build yourself in that area. If you're praying for something, ask yourself, what does the Lord speak about this issue? And then you can also pray with a brother and sister who operates in great faith. In fact, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, actually many of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are really to help us to help one another. Um, so they are gifts of faith, gifts of miracles. So these ones help us to work with others in order to actually help them build their faith. Now, at this point, you might be asking, going back to this story of Peter, you might be asking that if the prayer was not in faith, if these guys had gathered together in Mary's home and the issue was not, I mean, they were not really praying in faith, what is it that actually secured Peter's release? Or more practically, let me put it more practically in, in, in our day um, scenario. How do we deal with persecution, with troubles and trials, and all these things that are constantly surrounding us, trying to pull us down? Uh, where we find we are pulled in all ways, we are surrounded by enemies, how do we deal with situations like those? And it's a good question. So I believe the answer is given to us in something that we don't pay attention to when we read this passage. So let me ask you, what was Peter doing when the angel of the Lord came to him? He was sleeping. He was sleeping, yes. In the midst of persecution, he was guarded by all these soldiers. He, had, he, had, he knew his, his friend had just been killed. He was fast asleep. In fact, he was so deeply asleep that the angel of the Lord had to shake him awake. You know, some version says he has to strike him to wake up. Can you remember another incident, incident in the Bible where somebody had to be shaken awake when they were asleep in the midst of a storm? Jesus in the boat, when there was a mighty storm, and the disciples were like, hey, don't you care? So for you to sleep deeply, and might I add peacefully, in the midst of troubles and trials, means you really, really have confidence in God. You have confidence that he will take care of the situation. Either that, or you really don't understand the problem you're in. 
So in this case, clearly Peter understood, clearly Jesus understood, and yet they could sleep deeply. In a sense, this is what being at rest in God is all about. Being at rest in God. Let's read the passage from Peter, because Peter later explained how we maneuver through persecutions. In, Peter, um, in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you can turn there, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 14, um, Peter narrates how to maneuver through persecution. Um, and he was obviously talking from first-hand experience. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 14, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of power and of God rests upon you. The spirit of God rests upon you. The spirit of God rests upon you. You know, this, this, uh, during the worship, we talked about um, really just asking God and, and just, um, um, just hearing from God concerning the fact that he is near. Let me know that you are near. The presence of the Lord is so, so vital, especially when we're in the midst of persecution and trouble and situations, because those are the things that have, it's very easy to sort of be drawn away, and yet we are to press in and be at rest. To be at rest means you are fully trusting in God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 says, we who have believed, we who have trusted in God, enter into the rest of God. To be at rest in God means you don't rely on your own efforts, you don't trust your own works in order to get you out of the situation, but instead you're fully trusting in God. And it's not just about being fully trusting in God, because when you trust in God, there are certain things that he will give you, there are certain instructions that he will give you. So in the midst of troubles and situations, you're not focusing on the situation per se, you're focusing on God and what he says about that situation. And when you do that, you will find that he will give you instructions. He will minister to you and help you and strengthen you in the midst of the persecution. You notice that when Peter was woken up, because of his availability to God, because of his, the fact that he was alive to God, he was able to actually follow the instructions of the Lord. You know, the, 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 the angel of the Lord woke him up and told him, dress up and you know, walk through this door and pass through, and he was able to do that. What happens to us, us in the middle of persecution? Most of the time, we are like trying to seek help here and there and everywhere, and then we forget the voice of the Lord. So Peter declares, actually confirms twice in this chapter, he confirms twice that it, the deliverance that he got from prison came from God. In Acts chapter 12, verse 11, it says, Peter came to himself and said, I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish all that the Jewish people were expecting. In Acts chapter 12, verse 17, a few verses later, Peter testified to these guys who had gathered together and told them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. So this is the value of being at rest in God. When we are at rest in God, he will deliver us. Amen? So let's strive to enter into the rest of God 
He's the source of our healing, our deliverance, our prosperity, and all the things that really make for abundant life. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, God himself confirms this. He says, when you return to me and when you rest in me, you shall be saved, you shall be healed, you shall be restored. When you are quiet in me, when you trust in me, when you have confidence in me, that's where you get your strength from. That's Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. Amen. So let's go on to Isaiah, sorry, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. While the prophets and uh, teachers are fasting and praying, this is the first few verses, verse 1 to 3, the prophets and teachers are gathered together and they are praying. The result is they receive direction from the Holy Spirit. When you pray, do you receive direction? Do you receive encouragement? Do you actually hear from the Lord? A lot of our prayer is really talking to God and talking at God. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Imagine talking to a friend for 20 to 30 minutes without hearing anything from them. You're on the phone and you're talking to them for 20 to 30 minutes. You're not listening to them. You're not listening to their views. You're not listening to their ideas. You're not even focused on their needs. That makes a very idle conversation. And sometimes it ends up, we end, that's why we complain about sometimes prayer is boring, prayer is tiring, because it's predominantly focused on ourselves. We serve a living God. Let me just emphasize that. Living means he communicates, and he communicates very, very well. The problem is with us. Yeah? First of all, we are often not listening. We need to reduce talk time and increase listening time in prayer. That's really, I think, one of the messages from here. Reduce your talk time in prayer, increase on your listening time. You see, our prayers are often focused on ourselves, on our needs. And in this passage, if you see, it says they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then they heard from the Holy Spirit. This means their focus was on God. Their focus was not on themselves. It was about blessing God, ministering to God, magnifying God, thanking God, declaring his goodness and his grace. It was really about God. While they were worshiping God, that's when they were able to actually hear from him. Now here at KSU Luboa, one of the things, one of the things we really, really value is worship. Not just the worship that happens here uh, for 20 or 30 minutes, it's very beautiful, it's very lovely, but it's really a lifestyle of worship, where 24, 24 hours, seven days a week, I'm in the presence of the Lord, enjoying him, loving him, praising him, awake to him. And this passage tells us clearly that when we do that, we can hear from him very, very effectively. So I'll just mention that in passing, and let me move on to verse 4 to 12, where Paul and Barnabas and uh, John, who was assisting them, arrive in Cyprus. Um, so these guys are basically moving around the territory. And they go to an island called Cyprus, and they meet with a Jewish false prophet uh, named Elimas. Um, and he used to hang around a proconsul or a governor. Um, you know, they were governors of, of like, just as you have today. So he went, he, he, and this Elimas, the false prophet, used to hang around the governor. And uh, long story short, um, these disciples, um, Paul, Barnabas, and John, get an opportunity to proclaim the word of the Lord 
to the proconsul or to the governor. And then they also deal with the lies and the deceit and the falsehood that surrounded this intelligent man. And eventually the proconsul or the governor believed the word of the Lord and he was saved. Let me just mention in passing, this is not the focus of my message here, but let me just mention in fact that, that in passing that the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of the, of the word of God is the only way to deal with falsehood and deceit and lies. And yes, even intelligent men and women can be deceived. In fact, the, the Bible says this man was intelligent. And you know, if the Holy Spirit calls you intelligent, you are intelligent. And yet, he was surrounded by deceit, he was surrounded by lies, he was surrounded by falsehood. So they had to deal with that, and they, they dealt with that, and then ministered the word of truth to this man, and he was saved. In verse 13, um, chapter 13, verse 13, uh, Paul and his companions go back to Antioch, and then they get the opportunity to preach and teach in the synagogue, and they testify of how Christ is the Messiah. This is the heart of their message, the good news about the kingdom of God, about Christ. And the message is so well received that they get invited back the following Sunday or the following Sabbath um, in order to continue with the message. And then after they preach the good news, it is received by the Gentiles with so much joy. In verse 48, it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Amen? So how do you glorify or magnify or honor the word of the Lord? Some translation says they honored the word of the Lord. Some says they magnified. Um, in mine it says they glorified. How do you glorify the word of the Lord? It's, it's really about priorities. It's about giving importance to the word of the Lord to the point where it becomes the dominant thing in your life. You know, most people are dominated by so many things. Most people are dominated by their culture, the way their culture thinks and the way their culture dictates to them. They are dominated by their past experiences. What did I go through in my past? How many things did I fail at? And then they continue thinking, I'm likely to fail. They're dominated by what their friends and their family think. What will my friends think about me if I do this? What will my family think about me if I do this? They're dominated by what experts, quote and unquote, think or say, by what the media says. You know, if the media gives you bad news every single week, your week is short because you're dominated by the media. They are dominated by society trends, what's happening in society, more than they're dominated by what God says or thinks. It's really amazing how, you know, some people can, some people have more knowledge about, for example, their favorite football team than they do about God. They can tell you about all the players. They can list them, all their names, how much they earn, what are the terms of their contracts, how many goals they scored in the last season. But if you ask them to quote a single scripture on healing or on prosperity, they struggle. Okay, I will let the Holy Spirit minister accordingly and move on. That's not how it should be, basically. Now, if you're the type of person, you know, you know the, the problem is that these results show. If you're the type of person who ends up continuously worrying and being anxious, and you're afraid of failure, you're not sure whether you'll prosper, you have doubts, you're poor, you're sick constantly, 
then I guarantee you the word of God is not dominant in your life. It really isn't. You're not magnifying the word of God in your life. You know, one time I was somewhere outside Kampala and I was very hungry. So I walked into this um, place where they were offering food. Um, and you could see it wasn't really the most hygienic place. And so I ate the food. I was very hungry, I really, I ordered some food and I you know, ate some of it. I ate basically quite a lot because I was really hungry and, and the food was good. <laughs> it was a, not a very hygienic place, but the food was good. And then two days later, I, my stomach started ach aching, really. And you know, it's one of these things that just came out of the blue. I spent the night really just praying and praying and trying to rebuke the sickness um, and trying to cancel it out and really just speaking words of healing. Um, and it would go, the pain would go and then come back and go and come back. Then eventually what happened is that in the morning, you know, I just spoke to the Lord and I said, Lord, I know you want me well. Um, so I will just go to the clinic believing that you are directing me and that you are helping me to be well. So when I went to the clinic, they checked and they found actually I had, um, I don't know, they give it a very, they normally give them very long names, but <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> But basically, it was an amoeba infection or something. So um, I was like, how dare an amoeba reside in my stomach? But they gave me medication, and I went and took, and uh, two, two, three days later, I was fine. Praise the Lord. Now, a few weeks later, I was passing the same place, and I was hungry again. So I went to this place, because it's the only place that, around there that offered food, and I asked for food. Now, when the food came, I could literally feel my stomach <laughs> starting to ask questions. So I told my stomach, and, and you're going to find this a bit strange, but you know when you operate under the power of the word, you need to really minister to your body as well as your soul. So I had a conversation in my stomach. I said, look, the word of the Lord says, you shall eat any deadly thing, and it shall not harm you. So I spoke that, you know, when, when, we, when most people are saying their blessings, eh? they're like, we bless the food with me. I was <laughs> talking to my stomach. I said, in the name of Jesus, Amina. So I ate the food. Two days later, guess what happened? What happened? I was fine. But now I can tell amongst you, <laughs> which of you really, really believe in the word of the Lord? I was perfectly fine. In fact, I went on many days later to eat from that same place and had no issues. But each time I would speak the word of the Lord, you shall eat any deadly thing and it shall not harm you. You see, the word of the Lord, if we let it dominate our lives, really, we'll have very, very different results from what we currently have. So I say this politely and with due respect, magnify the word of the Lord in your life and really you will secure amazing results. Amen? You will have experience joy, peace, prosperity, healing, <laughs> regardless of the circumstances. And how do we do this? How do I make the word of God dominant in my life? How do I magnify the word of the Lord? Well, really, there are no shortcuts. You have to spend time in the word. You have to study it. You have to become a disciple or a learner of the word of the Lord, of Jesus. And being a disciple is not something that you do just once. You don't just sit in class and attend, take a few lessons. So that's a, that's a very good initiative, a very good beginning. You're also called to continuously study the word of God. 
In fact, you know, if you attend discipleship class here, one of the things that we emphasize is it's not just about what you do for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or one hour here. You are given homework. Most of you have been in school. There's no school that does not give you homework. You have to go and study. <laughs> so it tell, I mean, really, it, it pays off big time when you study the word of God to the point where it really, really magnifies in your life. It becomes dominant in your life. It pays off big time. I've gone through the Bible many times from Genesis to Revelation over and over again. And every time I do it, you know, I'm constantly learning new things, really. Just, just when I think I've got this, I'm taken to a deeper level. I get new wisdom, I get new revelation, I'm establishing truths in my heart, and I'm being changed in the way that I think, in the way that I decide things, in the way that I operate in this life. So discipleship is more than just 20 or 30 minutes sermon every Sunday. It has to be a regular thing. And you see that throughout the Bible. Joshua was told uh, when he became leader of Israel, he said, you need to study and meditate on the word of the Lord in order to make your way prosperous. You study it day and night, not just once a day, once a week. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it talks about the man who is blessed, the man who is prosperous, is the one who avoids ungodliness. Plus, what he does is he delights in the word of the Lord. He delights in the word of the Lord. He studies it day and night. Think about this for one moment. How long does it take to train a medical doctor? How many years of schooling? Six. Starting from <laughs> kindergarten or, or nursery. It's many, many years. But suddenly, yes, you know, when you go to college and campus and you decide to do medicine, it takes you at least five, six years, depending on where you go. Seven years if you want to specialize, eight or even nine if you're going to really, really high specialization. How long does it take to train an accountant? To the point of certified accountant, you know, they have CPAs and all those things. Several years. A lawyer, a nurse, several years of schooling, hours and hours of training, and testing and training and testing and making sure that they apply what they know until they profess or they become professionals in what they are doing, until you are qualified and equipped to actually practice what you are trained in. Now imagine being treated by a doctor who went to medical school and studied only 30 minutes every Sunday. <laughs> I don't think you'll really be impressed. So it's the same thing with Christianity. If you want the results that are promised in Christianity, you have to spend time reading and studying the word of God. In John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32, Jesus was speaking to those who believed in him, and he clearly differentiated between those who believed in him and those who are his disciples, those who are learners of him. Uh, believers are simply converts. When you hear the message of the Lord and you decide, let me commit to following the Lord, at that moment you are a convert or you become a believer. But a disciple continues in the word. A disciple abides in the word. Yeah? And then you get the results. Disciples will normally get the results. They will continue, abide, and study, and meditate on the word of the Lord. And the result is they will be fruitful. They end up experiencing freedom. They end up experiencing prosperity, peace, and the abundant life that is promised to us. So the word of God is very important and it must be key and prioritized in our lives. You know, when we began the book of Acts, we talked about what is it that fueled the church, 
the spread of that church. What is it, the fuel, the power that was in that church that was very evident? And we said it was the Holy Spirit. I think we remember that. We identified the Holy Spirit, and that is absolutely true. But the Holy Spirit was not acting on his own. Okay? He was not on his own. The word of the Lord was equally important. The word of God was equally important. The apostles proclaimed and taught the word of God. The believers studied the word of the Lord. The word of God was glorified and magnified over and over again, it says in the book of Acts. And wherever it was gladly received, wherever people really rejoiced in it and received it with gladness, it operated with great power and with signs and wonders following. Amen? So if you want to experience the power and the results of the early church, if you want to see healings manifest in our lives, if you want to see all these things that are promised to us as believers, our, the word of God must really be priority continuously in our lives, not just once a week or twice a week, but it's a continuous thing. We must be discipled in it, we must learn, we must receive it, we must plant it in our hearts and continue to grow in it. Now here at Luboa, uh, KSC Luboa, we have a discipleship classes, so if anyone is interested or willing to take up discipleship, those are available here. Here you learn the word of God systematically, step by step, and people who've gone through these classes really testify amazing, amazing things that have come out of their learnings how their healing comes to them, how they operate in power and peace, how they are delivered from so many issues in their lives. And you can talk to many of them. They will tell you testimonies of how the word has changed, the way that they view things, the way that they operate. And you too can experience this if you're not already doing it. If you can't actually go through discipleship for many reasons, maybe you're committed elsewhere, look for opportunities to study systematically the word of God because I promise you, you will not go um, unrewarded. It's very, very fruitful. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let me um, rest here. Next week we shall continue with Acts chapter 14 and 15. So I urge you to read ahead. Um, and we shall learn a lot more about um, the early church and how we can operate like they do. So I want to stop here and just um, encourage you that as we finish, um, you can grab a cup of tea. You come to the end of the teaching, grab a cup of tea. And maybe just sit with someone, one or two people, or maybe three people, and just talk about something you've learned today. Something you've learned today, um, and how you can go and implement it in your life. Just a very quick conversation, um, and then uh, we can leave it at that. Amen. Okay, so let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Father, we are thankful this morning for your word. We are thankful for these two chapters that we've gone through, and the messages and the lessons that we have learned. And Lord, I speak over this congregation gathered here this morning, that even as they leave this place, the word that you have implanted in their hearts, the truths you have implanted in their hearts, may continue to reside in them, may germinate and bring forth abundant fruit, may change their lives, may bring healing, may bring the ability to operate in power and have signs and wonders following. And Lord, I pray that the enemy will not snatch it away from them, but rather the spirit, that your spirit, the spirit, your spirit who is alive on the inside of everyone who is here and who has committed themselves to you, that your spirit will continue to nature your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and this time to listen to you. We are so grateful and so glad of the fact that you have revealed your word to us. Thank you for opening up doors 
to minister your word and your truths. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so we have come to the end of the service and you are blessed. I pray that you will have a lovely week. Um, grab a cup of tea or coffee. Sit down for 10, 15 minutes with someone.